KRCL, Salt Lake City. The Urban Indian Center of Salt Lake is a cultural nonprofit that provides services in health, wellness, behavioral health, and family and youth service programs. More details about this Center for American Indians and Alaska Natives in Utah residing on the Wasatch Front may be found online at uicsl.org. Homegrown's all right with me. Homegrown is the way it should be. Homegrown is a good thing. Plant that bell and let it ring. I'm Al Dine, KRCL's punk rock farmer, and this is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. Thanks for plugging into your community tonight. Hey, Al Dine, how you doing? Good, great. It's good to be here. And your holiday break was restful. Yes, relaxing. It, it was restful and cold. relaxing, and uh, Christmas was okay. There was a cold snap while we were off, and I'm just curious: did you have any concerns for some of your trees that were out there? Mm, no. Okay, good. You got them all wrapped <laughs> up. So on the show tonight, we got a lot to get to. Um, yeah, we have all kinds of stuff. We have uh, Trace Wyron music, always, of course. Trace Wyron and her porch rockers. And um, also we have Donna Little, and we're going to talk about the Weber River uh, Conservancy and the conference that they have coming up. And uh, Farm and Food Conference. And oh, yeah. <clears throat> we have the keynote speaker all the way from Quebec. Jean-Martin Fortier. Yes, and uh, we're th- very exciting to talk to him today. Great information oh, yeah. for the small guy, the little the yeah, the one, two, pot. three acres. He, yeah. What did he say he's pulling? Well, you're going to hear it in a bit. Like a couple hundred grand out of his farm every year. And about a 50% profit margin. So he's he teaches folks. He's a farm mentor as well. So that's pretty cool. And, you know, Cimbria, your pal, my pal. We have Cimbria. Little, she's, she talks a little bit about the conference. It's this week. It's coming up next week. Aldine's going to be there. Stick around for more details. Also... The Wasatch Co-op Market. They're getting closer, folks. Very close. There's a spot, and um, it's a really cool spot. So you're going to hear about all that plus Skywatcher, Leo T. But let's start where we always start with some fresh and homegrown music going over to our studio and checking in, Aldine. Trace, uh, how you doing over there? Are you guys all right? Oh, man, we are revved up. We're ready to be served up fresh. Uh, well, that sounds <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> and you're going to play with them later? Yeah, I am. I'm going to yeah. play a couple songs with uh, yeah. Thank You for allowing me to do that. It was my pleasure to come over and rock with you guys the other night a little bit. Uh, the first call, the first call, the first song is called uh, Do What You Want. Tell me a little bit about it, Trace. You know, one thing that I thought might be interesting is just to say how the place in which it was written, which was a cabin down in Mystic Hot Springs, I I came up with the melody. And then driving home, it was the rhythm of driving home that on that stretch from 70 that got me really going on the the lyrics. And um, (laughs) it's pretty much do what you want. Well, uh, it's a very spoken word kind of piece, so I think, you know, you can take it from there. Very as far good. As the meaning. Are you are you guys ready? I believe so. Okay, one second. Let me introduce you, Trace Wyron and her porch rockers, right here on KRCL ninety point nine FM. This is "Do What You Want."
Ho, 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 Trace Wyron and her porch rockers live here, Aldine. And you're going to go sit in in the next song or two, right? Yes, I am. This is Radioactive. It's Punk Rock Farmer Friday on KRCL. Mixing it up a little bit tonight how we normally go because we've got a bunch of guests. And this is Rallies and Resources. We have special guests here tonight. Yes, Donna Zakirmi's with us, and um, you've been with us a couple of times throughout the years. You've been doing this a long time. You're part of the Weber River Conservancy. What's your title, Donna? Uh, I'm the secretary of the board of Weber River Partnership. Very good. And um, the, the Weber needs help always. It's very. It's used in so many different ways. You, you want to talk a little bit about all the different sorts of folks who are involved? Um, yes, so uh, the Weber River Partnership is a collaborative 501c3 nonprofit organization comprised of diverse members with a strong interest in the watershed. Our members and partners all live and work in the Weber River watershed, representing private residential citizens, agricultural producers, wildlife, commercial, government, and non government organizations. So there's a lot, there's of, a lot of people involved, lots of different folks involved. Yes. And uh, I know you you have destination sports, and your angle is a recreation angle. That's how I make a living. Yes. And uh. and you know, in the last few years, I've been, I've actually experienced the famous um, Hennifer to Taggart run, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and I've seen how many people are just bohos on the river. 
Right. And and there's a lot of blow up um, Shamu the killer whales by along the sides and that. But this is your conference. This is uh, it's next week, January eleventh, yes. twelfth, and it's it's nine to four p.m. every day, those two days, and um, you guys are gathering to to collaborate and understand what's going on there. Right. Uh, the efforts of the Weber River Symposium is much broader than recreation and garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> our, our mission at Weber River Partnership is to improve communication among watershed stakeholders and conservation efforts to protect watershed health, water supplies, fisheries, and recreational resources of the Weber River and its tributaries. And so this conference, uh, we've been organizing and hosting the annual Weber River Symposium since 2014, with the exception of a COVID hiatus. And attendees have found this forum to be, valuable, to be a valuable resource for networking and building partnerships to help further their own conservation goals. Uh, our title this year is Weber River Confluence 2023, Building Partnerships for Strategic Success. Our focus is on facilitating communication, collaboration, and coordination to help watershed stakeholders aim towards improvements and funding opportunities. We believe that working together strategically with other people and organizations where our interests overlap in the watershed will make the greatest strides in obtaining funding for conservation projects and achieving our conservation goals. That's pretty lofty aim. So this conference, who who is it for? Is it for those folks that are on the river or those folks that care about the river? You've also priced it so as many people can access it as possible. Yes. Um, it's for anybody who has an interest in the Weber River watershed, mm. actually. Um, we have a really exciting lineup of presentations and workshops covering topics that include the challenges we face, what the Great Salt Lake can teach us about our watershed, grazing in the future, the need for healthy riparian systems, the big picture, the ecological system of the Great Salt Lake, water quantity in times of drought, converting challenges into opportunities, and watershed success stories that include beaver dam analogs, water banking, Ogden Kayak Park river restoration projects, uh, benefits of cattle grazing at Ogden Bay Waterfowl Management Area, and successfully managing invasive Phragmites. Phragmites, I love that word. <laughs> you know, one of the things that is, underpins all of this is the elephant in the room, water quantity in times of drought, which I see is one of your breakouts. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about the Great Salt Lake on this show, Aldine. We have. Yeah, and the Weaver Basin and the Weaver River um, plays into this whole conversation about drought and water in our, our state. Definitely. And, and there will be a couple of presentations on the Great Salt Lake that I'm really excited to hear. There's a lot that I don't know. I also I do know that there are a lot of efforts at a state level with the legislature right now uh, informing watershed, uh, yeah, watershed groups to advise to to get together and advise. Um, Folks and are taking note. Yes, they are. And, um, you know, it's important that this is grassroots, that it's not government down. So um, as part of our grassroots efforts, uh, we have included in our schedule some interactive watershed planning workshops for the upper, middle, and lower sections of the Weber River watershed. And uh, there's uh, quite a few grants involved, too, that are you're, you're telling people about those? 
Yes, so that's uh, one of the, the main reasons we want people to come to this conference, especially agricultural producers. Um, we will have a variety of grant funding representatives available there. The Utah Department of Agriculture and Food is coordinating to have several representatives there, and they'll have booths set up throughout both days. And some of these funds include uh, the available grant, let's see, the Agriculture Voluntary Incentives Program, Agriculture Resource Development Loan Program, Soil Health Program, Water Optimization Program, Lorray McAllister Critical Land Conservation Program, Utah Pollinator Habitat Program, Invasive Species Mitigation Grant, and Utah Grazing Improvements Grant. I think we know some of those folks. The exactly. soil improvement, <laughs> exactly. improvement guys, Tony Richards mm -hmm. and the guys from UDAF possibly. Um, boy, you've, you haven't quit. You've been at this a long time, and you're vehement about it. And... And it's really cool. And we, you know, we've had you back a few times. And what kind of progress is is being made? Um, well, uh, progress on the Weber River. I think we're building awareness, uh, building awareness, and building the partnerships. That's the big thing. Um, people are tending to be a little better stewards, but there's still a lot of problems, or we'll call them opportunities for improvement. Um, uh, let's see, at the, at the conference that we're holding to, to be able to get people to come, our tickets are only $30, and that includes breakfast bagels, snacks, and drinks all day, and lunch buffets on both days. Uh, the cost to host this event is quite a bit more than $30 per person, but with donations from our partners and sponsors, we're able to make it nice. That's fantastic. So what's the website or social we should direct people to to learn more? Uh, so, uh, we have a Facebook page for Weber River Partnership, and we have an Eventbrite page that you could purchase tickets on, um, if you just look up Weber River Confluence 2023, or just Google Weber River Confluence, um, and we have quite a few sponsors representing, representing a diverse group of, of folks, uh, that are helping us out, including from Trout Unlimited, the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources, U.S. Partners for Fish and Wildlife Program, River Restoration, Sageland Collaborative, Summit Land Conservancy, Summit County Public Lands, Utah Division of Water Quality, Weber Basin Wa Water Conservancy District, Ducks Unlimited, Campbell Scientific, and Destination Sports. So there's a lot of people putting efforts into this conference. Lots of folks getting behind the river. And I just think that's so impressive because year after year, you're still bringing these folks to the table. They're still interested. And now we need to get the folks leaving the um, exploded Shamu uh, <laughs> water wings on the bank yes, to take them with them. Rig to flip and pack it out. I love it. Thank you so much. And, of course, come back anytime, Donna. We appreciate it. Thank you. Stick around. We're going to talk a Wasatch Co-op market. But first, it's Skywatcher it's Leo T. Cultures, one sky. As we look up in the sky, we can see some sunshine warming us between waves of the atmospheric river, which is bringing us much-needed moisture in the form of seasonal snow. But it's been a bit difficult to see the sky at night, but it's still there. Tonight I see something in the west that I can't identify, but it is orange. I can see the moon hanging in the east through the cloudscape, and I'm sure Mars will poke out and say hi at some point in the east, hanging with orange Aldebaran. And earlier in the twilight, just after sunset in the southwest, the elusive Mercury. To its left, at a 45-degree angle, shiny Venus. 
And for a short show there as they set. And in the sky further to the left is Saturn. And up to the left even further with a 45 degree angle, it's bright Jupiter and its exotic moons. Where another space probe will join NASA's incredible Juno mission, which is already exploring here, along with Voyager 1 and the Galileo probes, which did incredible earlier exploration. European spacecraft JUICE, or Jupiter Icy Moons Explorer, will explore Jupiter and the icy moons of Callisto, Ganymede, and Europa, which are all believed to have oceans underneath their surfaces and are fascinating enigmas. JUICE will launch later in the year. And in other solar system news, the Earth reaches perihelion, or its closest point to the sun for the year, even as winter rages in the northern hemisphere, making little difference in the weather patterns. As we enter the deep of winter, the bowl of the Little Dipper hangs straight down from Polaris around 8 p.m., as if from a nail on the cold north wall of the sky. And let's take the Skywatcher spaceship out to join a possible naked eye comet. Yes, another one. Hopefully we'll see this one. It's going to visit Earth for the first time since the Neanderthals. It'll visit this year. The comet with the artistic handle C backslash 2022E3ZTF could be bright enough to be spotted with the naked eye as it passes the sun and the Earth at the end of January and into February this year, the new year, on January 12th, and will then whip past the Earth, making its closest passage to our planet between February 1st and the 2nd. If the comet continues to brighten as it currently is, it could be visible in dark skies with the naked eye. And it's uh, green, and by some accounts, bright green. You can see it on the Skywatcher Facebook page, thanks to NASA. This will be fun. On Skywatcher Leo T, it's many cultures, one sky. Let's visit Arizona and the Hickoria Apache, courtesy of Great Sand Dunes National Park and Preserve and the National Park Service. It's a bit windy, but it's in their own voice. Listen carefully. Get lost in the mystery and in space, and thank your lucky stars. Skywatcher Leo T on Radioactive with Laura Jones and Aldine, the punk rock farmer on KRCL. 
love. Thank you, Leo T. And check tonight's show notes for a link to his Facebook page and give him a follow to catch up on the latest celestial news. Hey, rallies and resources. There is one thing I want to remind folks about, Al, and that is tomorrow, noon at the Gateway, is the Free Iran SLC rally, the Woman Life Freedom Movement in Salt Lake with students and other Iranian-Americans gathering to share information. If you're interested in that movement, that is the place to go and connect tomorrow at noon at Gateway. More details in the uh, rallies and resources listing at krcl.org. Okay, we have some other special guests here. An update on the Wasatch Co-op Market, which is uh, ideally a, not ideally, it will be, a customer-owned grocery store eventually, Al. Very good. We have Evan Sudgen and Aaron Whitelock with us here tonight. Thanks for coming in, you guys. Thanks for having us. Very good. Um, so th- there's a spot now, and it's a cool spot. Tell us, tell us about it. So we're really excited. We uh, have finally landed on a location in the Liberty Park area. It is uh, the old Southeast Asian market. So you may be familiar. I was wondering what was going to happen there. So mm-hmm. approximately where? I believe it's on 9th South and about 500-ish mm-hmm. east. A little a little less, in between 4th and 5th, mm-hmm. right okay. there in between 4th and 5th. It's an old stalwart place, and it's always been a grocery store, and there's a lot of history there. The Southeast Market, I, I mean, back in the 80s, the punk rockers used to oh, go yeah. there and <laughs> get their little Asian drinks and their Botan rice candy and that stuff. But I think it's great that you guys have chosen this place, and it's always been it's always been a, a grocery store, and uh, this will be, be really cool. Tell folks just what a co-op is, it, it, what it involves. All right, so kind of taking a step back, what a co-op is in general is it's a business that is owned by the individuals that shop there, that work there. Um, and it's and because it's owned by the individuals that shop and work there, it's run democratically. So people invest in a co-op and they end up getting a vote and that, and that way they set the mission and vision of the business themselves. And I mean, I know you can kind of hear that and go, oh, no, that sounds interesting, but like, what does that mean? Well, that means that we, that we have like 850 members of the, the Salt Lake community who are coming together as a social movement to create a business that we own, that we get to decide how we pay our employees, who, where we source our food, what are our values, and then we share in the profits and we decide how we want to redistribute those back into the community. Mm-hmm. So it's really... It's a, it's a whole new business model and a social movement, more than just a grocery store, in my opinion. So it's, it's based around local products, correct? Absolutely. Local, regional, Evan? As much as we can. Um, we anticipate being the most locally sourced store in the Valley when we open up in the state, possibly. Um, and we can do that because we own the store. And uh, if, it, if it takes us a little more effort or a little more cost to do that, we can do it. We don't have a CEO or, or uh, shareholders or some out-of-state corporation dictating to us what we carry and how we market it. So you have members who only have one vote each. You can't buy more than one share, for instance, for lack of a better term. Because we Correct. just use the word shareholders. There aren't shareholders. There are member holders. Correct. Okay. We call them member owners. That's member the owners. That's fantastic. And is there a f- like a focus on local Al, organic, uh, yes. healthy, nutrient dense Al? Mm-hmm. Nutrient dense. <laughs> so local, um, 
sustainably grown, raised. We definitely want to focus on that. And every co-op has a different mission. And so ours, our member owners have come together that we want locally sourced, you know, from farms and ranches, local bread makers, soap makers. We want to support our local business and keep the money local. That's a great alternative for folks who right now are doing, uh, putting their products, their produce, their, their meats and such through a farmer's market. It gives a greater option to, for them to grow their business, Erin. Yeah, that's one of the things about um, that, well, why a lot of local farmers like cooperatives because, you know, they'll bring, they'll, they'll pick a bunch of uh, produce, bring it to the farmer's market. If they don't sell it all, what do they do with that? Yeah. And they don't always know, is it going to be a good Saturday? Is it going to be a good Sunday? Whereas with the cooperative, they'll have a contract with us. Mm -hmm. They know what they can sell. And, and cooperatives actually strengthen local farms. You see it over and over again with cooperatives where they, they start out small, like Reno Co-op. Uh, Great Basin Co-op in Reno started quite small uh, with like seven or ten you know, different local farms. And within like a decade, they were sourcing from something like 70. So, Al, I know i got to get you over to the studio to set up and play with the band. So we're going to have you go and do that while I wrap our conversation. Okay. Erin and Evan, that model that you mentioned of other co-ops, I guess have given you inspiration over the years because this has been a a long haul, Evan, to get the number of members you need to lock down a location. It has been a long haul. We've been at it for, I believe this is our 14th year. Wow. Um, We were incorporated in 2009. And that, it really speaks to the tenacity of the group because most most movements don't last that long without actually achieving their final end. But we're on the verge of achieving that now. That's fantastic. So right now, about 850 members. You're trying to get to another milestone, Aaron, as part of this move to get it open, right? So that milestone is 1,100 member owners. Okay. So we need about another 250. Uh, so that's one of the reasons we're going to amp up our outreach uh, coming on this radio show to spread awareness we just we, we're looking for visionary people who want to create this kind of community well when we look at our economy and what's going on right now with inflation perhaps facing down another recession people having more control over where and how they get their groceries it seems like that would be a natural selling point what are you hearing from folks in the community when you take it out there Aaron Evan it, that is a great point uh, what co-ops can do is increase the level of democracy in your life and the level of control. And we expect that's what our members will experience. That's part of our our pitch and what we're going to achieve. I've been reading up on choke point capitalism, and I'm thinking co-op, unions, all that stuff again, right? Mm -hmm. For me, it's all about, you know, local business control, like democratic business and uh, kind of giving the middle finger to big corporate <laughs> agriculture, you know, saying, hey, I want, we want to take our, our farms back, our food back. Oh, that's our soundbite for the evening. <laughs> I love it, Erin. So how can folks get involved, learn more? Do you have outreach or monthly events, town halls? The most important thing people can do is go to our website or contact us otherwise and join. We are, we are really pushing to get our membership up so we can meet that next goal that we have. And don't think that once we're there, we're going to stop because we expect to have thousands of members once we actually open the store. But we have milestones we need to reach, so join. We also have a uh, crowdfunding campaign going. So if membership is a little too much for you, then uh, consider donating any amount of money we'd appreciate. We also have volunteer positions that could be considered. And also our board of directors meet every month and member owners or prospective member owners even are welcome to come along and join the conversation. What's the website, Aaron, where folks can find out more and we'll put it in the show notes too. Wasatch.coop or co-op. <laughs> we'll put that in the show notes 
and uh, help spread the word. Thank you so much for coming on, and please come back and report as we, as you chip away at these milestones and, again, that potential location over by Liberty Park. And you need these members to sign up to make that happen, too. That's right. All right. Aaron and Evan, thank you so much. We're going to go back to uh, the studio with the band. We've got Trace Wiring and her Porch Rockers, which now includes Aldine, Strychnine, KRCL's Punk Rock Farmer. Right, Trace? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome, Aldine. Hey, Al. <laughs> we love it. So, uh, you guys playing out? You got any socials or websites to direct people to your downloads or anything, Trace? Um. There are a few tidbits there. You could find a, a music video that is called Parked in the Rain. That's just something I put together after my dear friend Herc, the sound engineer extraordinaire of Salt Lake, died after we had just done it. So um, we are, we are, um, I have, p I, we all kind of have social media presences. Um, and this is, a, to introduce, this is Roger Tom on drums. This is Mike Crandall on bass. And then, of course, we have our sitting in Aldine. Um, we're we're st still kind of youngish as far as our uh, presence, but we're, um, you know, exploding onto the scene today. How's that? <laughs> it's your debut. <laughs> Thanks for letting us debut. give you your cotillion, I guess. Trey, so this next one is Trouble at Home. Tell us a bit about it before we get into it. Um, it uh, Musically, it, it definitely... Um, calls on my southern roots um but western southern western um and it does address a little bit of uh, domestic violent violence <coughs> but uh you know in a in a sort of porch rocky kind of way one can definitely make one's own conclusions about the content of the song but um it we're ready to go. Are you yeah. guys ready to go? <laughs> Fresh and homegrown, Trace Wiren and her porch rockers. Grown. On KRCL That's Radioactive. Right. Listen, listen, oh baby, listen to 
Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Share the Love event, a partnership with local charities in delivering hope this holiday season. Learn more and info on how to get involved at markmillersubaru.com. KRCL is hiring a production assistant to join our staff part-time and support the Radioactive program. Details are on our website, krcl.org. KRCL is an equal opportunity employer. Love to have you join us. I'm Laura Jones. You're listening to Radioactive 90.9 KRCL. Democracy Now! coming at 7. Not a sideshow with Circus Brown at 8 and Friday Night Fallout with Keith at 10.30. Our full lineup online at krcl.org. Now it's time for Al's Urban Farm Report. We Zoomed a conversation earlier today with a keynote speaker coming up next weekend at the Utah Farm and Food Conference down in Cedar City. KRCL's a media sponsor. Al Dine will be down there. More details to come in this conversation right now here on KRCL, Punk Rock Farmer Friday. Here we are today with the Urban Farm Report. We have an award-winning book author, John Martin Fortier with us, and Cymbria Patterson. The conference is next week. So excited. What do you what do you think, Cimbria? How wh- are you excited yet? <laughs> yes, I'm excited. You know, when it gets down closer and closer, everything seems to start coming together. So we just talked to at a place cider. They're going to be doing their live next Thursday from the barn dinner. So that was a fun conversation this morning. And of course, we're totally excited that we have JM coming for sure. These you know these last few years, you just cross your fingers and hope nothing goes wrong before an event now. And um, what else is shaping up? I think we've got everything in place and, you know, not people keep registering to come and, you know, we're hoping for 200 this year. I know we were way up over those numbers before COVID, but I think it's, um, I think we'll, I think we'll have a couple hundred people this year and, and we're excited. 
What's so. the website where folks can learn more if they're hearing this and thinking, maybe this is the year I'm coming down? UtahFarmConference.org. So the overall theme is about rooted in resilience. Why is that still important as a theme, Cimbria? Well, if you're still here, we want you to come. <laughs> <laughs> if you managed to survive and you're still farming and you're still in the game and, and you still think this is important, it's like, I mean, you really had to be resilient. I mean, mentally, physically, these past few years have been rough for people. And so we just feel like you've, you've got to be resilient to make it. Al, let's dive in with our special guest. John Martin, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, we're so excited to have you. You know, um, you're really all about the small guy and the, and the backyard farmer. And the, you, we believe that this can maybe change the course of things in the world. Will you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, well, you know, if people don't know who I am, uh, I'm, I've been farming for 20 years and I started pretty young. I was in my early 20s. And I'm a market gardener. So what I do is I farm, I grow vegetables that I sell at, through my CSA or through farmer's market. But my farm is really small. It's about an acre and a half. And uh, we use mostly hand tools. We don't have a tractor. We have a walk behind tractor, like a, a, a rotor tiller style, kind of small tractor, but we don't have tractors on the farm. Um, it's mostly an operation that that was ran for many many years with my, my wife and I and an employee or two now because of all the different projects that I'm involved with my, my wife runs the farm without me she says it's it's better that way anyway <laughs> but uh, I wrote a book the market gardener and the book uh, in that book I go through the details of uh, starting your own micro farm, uh, what tools to use, how to organize your piece of land, how to organize your different crops, a lot of details on uh, tricks and tips for successfully growing organically different crops. And that's how I gain to be somebody that wants to, you know, people want to meet or I get invited to the event like we're having next week. Will you explain, uh, give a little picture of your farm. Tell, tell folks what it looks like. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really amazing because a lot of people throughout um, the U.S. And, and, and Europe, they've heard about my farm. Uh, every year we have people that come down and visit it, and they all say the same thing. This is it? <laughs> they've heard so much about it, but it's such a tiny farm. Uh, we have a barn in the middle of about two acre prairie that is all landscape on permanent raised beds. So the gardens are a bit raised and it's an acre and a half of vegetables that are double, triple cropped every year. Uh, we're in a Norton climate here. We're in Quebec, Canada. So it's just on the border with Vermont. So it's really a Norton climate, really different from the one that, that you guys are at. Uh, but the farm is small and it's very beautiful, but it's very productive. It's highly, highly productive. We sell more than $150,000 of produce per acre. Um, and we employ uh, four people for eight months out of the year. We have greenhouses to grow, to extend the season, to grow tomatoes in the summer. We do our own uh, starts and we sell to the farmer's market on Saturday morning, and we have a CSA on Wednesday. 
and uh, we have a busy, interesting life because we're outside and the farm is is our home and we have a pond and people can look it up the marketgardener.com they'll have a a general idea of our farm it's called the la grelinette which is a french name for broad fork which is a tool that your listeners should uh, learn about yes i've been i've been get, um itching to get one and uh, i think this will spur me all the way um uh, when you say a, a lot of crop rotation and the, i've seen the word biointensive um, link to you. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's a great question. Um, one of the things that we do differently is that uh, all of our crops are really closely spaced here. Uh, square foot gardening could be kind of the same. It's the same idea, but we have really loose and deep soil that's heavily amended with compost, cover crops, uh, organic fertilizers, and we double and triple crop. So every time that a crop is planted or transplanted, uh, when it's harvested, it's a new one coming in the same day. And we have calendars that help us really make sure that we're really on target with that. So it's very efficient planting and transplanting and harvesting. But all of that works because we pay attention to soil ecology. And we use tools that are very, very gentle on the earthworms in, in our soils that don't overturn the soil, that we don't rotor till, we don't plow, we don't have heavy machinery that compacts the soil. And so all of this strategy of uh, closely spacing your crops, of uh, double, triple cropping, and paying attention to soil ecology to make this work is what kind of uh, is meant by biointensive. It's biologically intensive cropping systems. And uh, they're awesome. That, that's really the fuel of, of how we're able to grow so much vegetables on a small piece of land and make it work a commercial, which is, which is also very important. So, and, and organic is definitely a word. Uh, your, your farm is certified organic, is it not? Yeah, the farm has been certified organic for 20 plus years. And uh, it's amazing because we've been farming an acre and a half for 20 years. And it's a testimony to the fact that even if we grow really, really, you know, intensively in terms of pumping out a lot of veggies, our farm is sustainable over years and our, our soils are better than they were when we started. Uh, we're still able to produce high, high quality, nutrient dense uh, vegetables to our customers. And uh, we've been, you know, we've been proving that small is profitable. And that's going to be the topic of my talk that I give at the, at the conference uh, next week. Jean-Martin, it sounds like you, you are dedicated to the basics, to, to organic growing, but technology is also a part of what you do. And that can't be ignored in our in our current age right no nope. technology uh is part of it and that's such a great question uh appropriate technology is is uh is what we is what we need and appropriate technology in terms of small-scale farming usually means low-tech uh it it means uh tools and equipments that are not 
so sophisticated that they're too expensive. Uh, but yet they're ergonomically designed uh, for you know gaining efficiency uh, in the fields or in the gardens. Or we have tools like softwares that are developed to help market gardeners really be on par with their crop planning, with their budgeting, with their sales at farmers markets. So it's it's a mix of technology in that way. And, and low-tech tools that are really well dim dimensioned and designed for, you know, farming with no tractors. And, and that's very different than vertical farms where everything is hydroponically designed by engineers and then everything is computer run. Uh, we're still farming with our two feet on the ground. We're still in it. And, and so I think technology, yes, but appropriate technology. Now, I also wanted to go back to that term you used earlier for those who might be unaware of what a broad fork is, because I'm thinking, oh, it's just a fancy pitchfork, but it's a very specific tool. And why is it so important on your intensive farm? Yeah, the broad fork is the tool uh, we call it, you know, the original broad fork is a grelinette. So it was invented in France in the uh, 1960s by a, a, a a man called André Grelin. So Grelinette is, is, is kind of a fancy word to, to call the broad fork, but the broad fork is a big fork. Uh, it's, it's larger than a, than a pitchfork because it's about 30 inch wide, 24 to 30 inch wide. And it has tines that are about 10 inch deep. And with the motion of just kind of rowing back, you can open up your soil, uh, let oxygen in, uh, you know, allow your soil to really breathe, but you're not inverting it. You're not flipping it. You're not doing what a rototiller does, which is, you know, kind of break all the soil structure that's, that was created by different soil organisms, earthworms, whatever. So the broad fork allows us to open the soil, make sure that it's loose and deep, that the roots of our crops that are densely planted can shoot down but without inverting the layers like a rototiller would. So it's a great gardening tool. And it's, it makes the work efficient because of the design of the tool. And it symbolizes for me uh, being gentle with the soil. You know, I, I read that your beds are about 30 inches wide and 100 feet long. Is that because the broad fork fits perfectly? Um, that's one reason. There's a lot of tools for market gardeners. And again, people are curious. They can look up my website, themarketgardener.com. There's a lot of blogs and there's a lot of uh, resources, of pictures of tools that we use, but most of them are standardized now to work uh, on 30-inch bed systems. And that's really because of the work of Elliot Coleman, a pioneer of Maine. He was my first influence when I started farming, you know, 20 years ago. And he did a lot of work to design and develop tools for bed, 30-inch bed system. Uh, others like me have picked that up. We, I, you know, I develop also my own tools now with the growers, uh, growers company, Growers & Co. People can check that out. But the 30-inch is really designed for human scale. So it's when you're on your knees and the, the pathways, you're at arm reach 
of the middle of the bed. You can hop over the bed uh, just by kind of going over it. It's not too long. It's not too wide. And uh, all my beds, like you say, are standardized to 30 feet to, uh, to 100 foot because then the material becomes versatile on the farm. We use a lot of row covers. We use a lot of uh, insect nets. We use a lot of black silage tarps. That's a big part of my cropping system. So all the drip uh, irrigation, all the material is the same length because we standardize our beds. Simbria, do you want to you want to throw in a question here for JM? Well, you put me on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> um, I had a question. You were talking to him, and now it's oh yes, is that gross or net when you throw that number out, JM? That hundred fifty thousand dollars an acre is that the per, number? Correct. That these that's these are the sales of the farm. So we make roughly about close to three hundred thousand in sales every year. And the, the, the gross, the net is about, the profit margin is around 50%. Wow. And, and that's when I've been te teaching for a long time. Through, I teach an online course, the Market Gardener's Masterclass. And when you're able to really dial down uh, the production side and you have access to good markets, um, the amount of inputs that go into uh, growing all these vegetables isn't that much. It's not easy because it's a lot of work and there's a lot of technical know-how and you, you need to have certain tools and equipment to make you efficient along the way. But in the end, you're spending on seeds, you're spending on compost, you're spending on labor costs, but because it's a micro farm, the labor cost is, is kept quite low. And a big part of the work is done by you know, the operator, you, your wife, you and your wife, whatever. So the, the profit margin in the end is what's left, uh, which equates to a pretty uh, decent salary. JM, one of the things that we see in this country, I'm sure it's similar in Canada, is that we're losing more and more farms every year. I'm talking about small farms or legacy farms. And at the same time, we can't recruit the next generation fast enough, obviously, but on your website, you, you say there's never been a better time to get into farming. Is that because there mm -hmm. is this opportunity if you do it in this mindful, um, smaller way? Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, for young people that want to get into farming. Uh, we, <laughs> You're working on the farm. There you go. Yeah, I'll have to pay beers to the people that when that happens. Um, but when, when you're a young person that wants to get into farming, if you're going the traditional classic kind of farming conventional style, you'll need millions of dollars to get in and you'll be in debt and there's no guarantee that you'll be profitable down the road. So it's a lot of, there's a big barrier. There's an entry barrier that's big. And that's one of the reasons why there's not uh, so many young people that go and, and take the house route. When we're talking about market gardening, farming one, one acre, two acres, three acres max, uh, you know, access to land is much more reasonable. The equipment that we use is much more reasonable. The, the possibility of making a decent livelihood is there and it's real. And it's, it doesn't take 10 years to, to get to that. 
So it, it's it's a new model of farming. It's nothing new because people have been market gardening for 200 years, but it's rediscovering that this kind of scale, small, is profitable. And, and that attracts a lot of young people that want to get into farming. And there's a lot of people now that want to eat local, they want to eat healthy food, and they want to support uh, the local economy. And so that, that match of having the right scale and the right model with the timing of people wanting to buy local and also because of climate change and because of everything that's going on in the world, the cost of food is just on the rise. It's, it's terrible. The co my costs are not that much more higher. So I, my, the price of the food that we grow is much more affordable. And, and that, I think, is, is something also that I want to be talking about at, at, at uh, the keynote next week. Well, Jan, thank you so much for giving us some time. What are the websites, again, where folks can catch up with you in advance of the conference next weekend? Yeah, they can. Uh, well, obviously, coming at the conference is the best way to connect. I'll be there and, uh, you know, I'll make myself available to chit chat or have a beer or whatever. Uh, but if people want to look up my work, they can check out the work that we do at the Market Gardener Institute. Uh, we teach uh, farming classes and they can also look up uh, Growers & Co., which is a company that creates uh, tools and equipment for gardeners and small-scale organic farmers. So that's growers.co. Jean-Martin Fortier, mm -hmm. thank you so much. Okay, see you next week. Jean-Martin, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a homesteader with a small space out back. And um, I'm thinking I'm going to turn in my tiller for a broad fork. I'm going to talk to you <laughs> a little bit more down at the conference. Perfect. Well, I'll see you there. Thank you, everyone. Have a good day. Thanks. He's going to give a great talk down at the conference, which, Sambria, give us the dates again. I know there's tickets still available. Yes. Uh, January 12th through the 14th. You can just go to pre-conferences. And anyone who needs financial aid when they're registering, you can ask for it. Anyone can ask for it. And so far, we've been granting um, pretty much everyone who's asked. What's that so, website again? Uh, UtahFarmConference.org. And if you need a ride coming from anywhere in the state, we're set up on Ricky Rides. There's a link on that website, but you can also go straight to Ricky Rides and look up Utah Farm Conference and hop in the car with someone else. And there's the giveaway today on Instagram, too. We'll so. put links in the show notes for all that. You said the word grants, and Al, I wanted to ask Simbri about this. We didn't give her a heads up. So uh, you've been talking on your social about micro grants for the first time from Red Acre Center and the conference. What is that about? Um, so we have been blessed with some donations, and we're, 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 we still have plenty of volunteers, and we're operating that way. But the money that we've been giving, we want to give back out. So it's a, it's a little unconventional. It's a really simple form to fill out. And we were going to announce them at the conference, but now we've decided to extend it past the conference. So I think the deadline is the 20th and then we'll announce it in February. And so that you can ask up to $3,500. And there's a lot of times grants have limits. There's no, there's no amount too small. It doesn't matter. And you, can, you don't have to be established. And we're open for ideas. Broad and forks. It's broad forks exciting. for everyone. <laughs> yes, Al could absolutely, Al, you should fill a micro grant out and ask for money for broad fork. That's a great example, Laura. Perfect. <laughs>
And that is Symbria Patterson, JM Fortier, and Aldine's Trick Night KRCL's punk rock farmer, who's now over in the studio with Trace Wyron and her porch rockers. But Al, you're going to be at the farm conference next Thursday, Friday, Saturday, hosting a panel or two, the Seed Exchange as well. KRCL's a media sponsor, Al. And get a mic. There yes, you <laughs> yes, I am. I'm going to be down there. Um, we'll be doing a little a seed exchange where I'll be giving out free seed for people's garden. Last year, oh, 150 people took seed for the garden. That kind of stuff warms my heart. I'm a, I'm on a seed panel. I'm the moderator. Uh, last year, I'll mention this. We got a standing ovation at ah. the end of our little uh, presentation. So That's that was great too. Cool. Look forward to just being down there. KRCL sponsors the mixer. Yeah. And we're going to have some fun. We got a standing O of one from me for the band tonight, Trace Wyron and her porch rockers. It's the relaunch, right, Trace? You, you got that right, <laughs> Laura. Hey, thank you so much for to you guys, by the way. I really appreciate being here. And I would definitely, I really appreciate my band too. These guys are awesome shout him out again <laughs> yes um roger tom on drums fabulous and mike crandall on the bass also fabulous and um great to work with and we love having aldine sitting in with us it's kind of a random thing we threw together a couple nights ago and um care love you i have a thousand shouts out but <laughs> this next uh but i'm just want to say if for this next song, which is called Going My Way, it's about adventure and friendship. So if you, you may feel free to insert yourself into the song if you have been one of my friends and gone on adventures yeah. with me. <laughs> well, and I do want to say thank you to Sullivan Pachinpang and Bill Ramsey for being our audio engineer for you all tonight. And do check to the show notes. I'll put links into uh, Trace's back catalog, the CDs Johnny's Cafe and Danley's Plates that Roger played on. Uh, still available. I, I can even see on Discogs, Pain in the Middle from my sister Jane. Yeah. <sighs> Trace, this last one is going my way. Take <laughs> us out, fresh and homegrown, on Punk Rock Farmer Friday.
KRCL, 90.9 FM, on the web at krcl.org.